You are slipping into a distorted dimension. Reality and fantasy are changing places past the event horizon. Bullies are victims, men are women, and abuse is love. You weren't here just yesterday. Reality is still out there. But to find your way back, you have to notice it. And now, the Disaffected Podcast with Joshua Slocum. Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. Um, thank you for your patience. I'm sorry there wasn't a uh, an audio show the other day. I have been in tooth pain hell for the better part of a week, um, <laughs> and I don't even know if it's over. Um, I went to the dentist and got... Um, I had to get some root planing and root scaling done. That's when they go beneath your gums and clean off the roots of your teeth for gum disease. Um, and after that, the pain was so extraordinary uh, that it, it, it basically, I, I'm sure you guys understand this, you know, your teeth are connected to the trigeminal facial nerve. So when one tooth goes, your your cheek goes, your jaw goes, that, that throbbing pain throughout your head. Well, um, despite the expensive 3D scan in a Star Trek-looking machine, an X-ray that that does a three-dimensional image, very, very cool, they couldn't find evidence that I needed a root canal on this tooth. They couldn't find evidence of infection. Thankfully, they did not find the bone loss they thought they were going to find, so we don't know if the tooth is dying um, and needs root canaled or if it sim- should simply be... You know what? This is boring. Um, sorry, I obsess about this because I put so many thousands of dollars into my mouth, but my God, you guys, I, I realized the other day for all the complaining I do about modern life, I need to stop for a second and be grateful for what it does give us because modern dentistry and modern anesthesia and pain relief is miraculous. And it's something that people did not have access to. Listen to me, I use the word access. (laughs) People couldn't get this really until the 20th century. It may be expensive, and I complain about how expensive it is, and it's it's prohibitively, it's ruinously expensive. There is a problem with how expensive dentistry is in the United States. But aside from that, it's there. And the fact that I can actually, you know, if I need a root canal, I can actually pay for it. It's an incredible luxury that most humans never had throughout history. So um, there are some upsides to modern life, <laughs> and I need to be more grateful. want to talk about, do I want to talk about this yet? Now, first, I want to talk about a couple of things I noticed online. I've mentioned many times on the show before that I think that what we're seeing in society is a really large scaled up version of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The psychological condition in which a caregiver deliberately sickens a child or a dependent person in order for the caregiver to get praise and social credit uh, for being a martyr, for being selfless. It is almost always a mother-child relationship. 
There are a few cases where it's a father and child, but it, this is very much a mother's problem. It's a it's a mother's way of expressing uh, what I believe Munchausen syndrome by proxy is um, a symptom, a subset of borderline or another cluster B personality disorder. I don't believe that there are any cases of Munchausen syndrome by proxy that just stands by itself and the person who, who quote, has it is completely psychologically normal in their personality. It's just not, it's just not true. But we've got Munchausen syndrome by proxy having been completely normalized with the transing of children. The so, I mean, it starts with the social transing of children, then it starts with the psychological transing of children, the creation of this idea in your child's mind that, yes, indeed, they were born in the wrong body. Your little girl is not actually a girl. She's a boy. She's part of this rare, special... You know what? It's... Well, it reminds me of... Um, it reminds me of cases that you see from time to time of, of, see, here's the thing. Because this has become so popular and normalized, people literally don't see Munchausen's by proxy in front of them. What I'm saying here about doing this to children, putting them on puberty blockers, putting them on cross-sex hormones, this is as obvious as it could be. There is not a single competent adult in the world who cannot see what's wrong with that, except... For the fact that it has been normalized. I'm not saying something abstruse. I'm not particularly intelligent for having figured this out. It's dog stupid obvious. That is the power of social myth. That is the power of changing social mores to the point where people first feel they can't say what they see, but as it goes on, they no longer see what they see. There are millions of people out there who think this is a loving act of kindness from a devoted set of parents to a child. That's how fucking sick this is. But we're seeing it now with COVID, of course. Let me read to you a couple of tweets that I bookmarked. Oh, of course, I'm going to have to actually start this up again in order to show you the bookmarks, so let me do that. This one comes from a woman named Tara. It's a tweet. It's a picture of her and her daughter. Tara appears to be in her early 30s. Her daughter appears to be about seven or eight years old. They're sitting on the couch. Tara is holding her daughter. Her daughter's eyes are closed. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Tara is looking at the camera, and she's looking at the camera with one of those looks. It's a very self-conscious look. This, this is, it's very posed. It's very, I want to look a certain way. And this is what she wrote. Up all night with my baby. She has intense reactions to vaccines and still she keeps taking them because she's brave and knows it's not just for her, but to keep us all safe. So proud to be her mama. Hashtag get vaccinated now. Your daughter has allergic reactions to vaccines, and you keep giving them to her? Why are you vaccinating your daughter against COVID in the first place? That's a question millions of parents should have asked themselves before they did this, but they haven't. And their children, many of them, will pay a price for this. But look, look, at, look at what this woman is saying. Her daughter is like a, 
she's something sacrificial. She's taking vaccines and suffering allergic reactions because she's brave and knows it's not just for her, but to keep us all safe. In a sane world, it wouldn't be possible to get away with this. This is something, in a sane world, this wouldn't happen. So that's bad enough. And you see many examples of this. This isn't rare on social media. It's just not. It brings up the question that occurs to all of us and that none of us can can really answer. Are we seeing more of what people have always been like since social media became popular? Or are we creating more people like this in addition to having the ability to see them more easily? It's probably both. It's probably both. I was scrolling through and I saw another... I saw another social media profile, and again, this is almost exclusively mothers. And this woman described herself with a uh, list of basically lefty progressive identity tags, you know, vote blue no matter who, progressive, you know, for public schools, et cetera, et cetera. And she had the rainbow colored hearts to show that she loves all genders and all sexualities. The only thing she didn't have in her in her biography was pronouns. But the last sentence caught me up and it said, COVID made me an angel mom. That's creepy. I take that to mean that one of her children died. And if that's the case, it's horrendous. But COVID made me an angel mom. I don't know this woman. I only looked at a couple of tweets she put up. I am drawing some tentative conclusions from the way she advertises and styles herself because it's full of tells that add up to a certain kind of personality. It is not certain. But yes, I do suspect it. That looks like a a Munchausen-y way of, of, of styling yourself too. For someone who would go, and again, I'm just, I'm talking about types of people. I'm not talking about this specific woman. I don't know this about her. But for the type of people who get an outsized charge out of being seen to perform selfless motherhood for a sick child, I'm sure these things exist on a spectrum from rather mild, slightly histrionic behavior all the way to medically abusive behavior where where mothers are actually inducing sickness. I am sure that it varies in severity along that spectrum. But for a person who gets an outsized charge from being seen as the martyr mother, what prize could be better than the death of your child? Yeah, that's that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Why? What kind of people are we talking about? We're talking about people who will hurt their children and exploit their children's suffering and even physically create sickness in their children in order to exploit it for narcissistic attention. I'm not particularly dark for noticing the obvious, which is my child dies and I win. I'm at the top of the martyr heap. Anyway, that's all I have to say about that. 
And I have a lot to say about some gay stuff. So for those of you who are not interested in the mind of the male homosexual, I suppose you can tune out. (laughs) I'll try to make it interesting for everybody. Uh, I've said before that I I often use Twitter and social media as a dry run for ideas that I want to talk about on the show. And I did that with this and it went um, hellaciously badly. Mostly my fault. (laughs) Because... I never seem to learn my lesson. There are some topics that cannot be discussed reasonably on social media, and I keep going back to the same well and trying over and over again. It's my job to figure out why I keep doing that. Um, But anyway, I tried this out on Twitter, and and it ended up um, going exactly as I thought. The idea that there is an environmental influence to sexuality not just genetics but an environmental influence and the i'll give you my hypothesis and this is a hypothesis it is not a theory i don't have evidence that would justify calling this a theory i think it is more than a guess it's based on a lot of observation some reading and a lot of conversation with other people over a very long time So it's more than a guess. It's a hypothesis, but it's not a theory. I can't prove it to you. I don't know how I could prove it to you because I don't think the research exists in sufficient volume. I can imagine some research that we could do that would get us there, but I don't think it is politically possible to do it right now. So I don't think that it's it's going to happen. My hypothesis is that there is a correlation. Well, let me put it this way. I'm not tentative that there is a correlation. I'm stating plainly that I see a correlation. I don't have a question about that. I don't think it's tentative. I know this correlation exists because I can see it. What I don't know is whether there is a causative aspect to this or if it is merely correlative but i i will say i know this correlation exists and this correlation is gay men with personality disordered parents and particularly frequently a borderline or histrionic mother and a violent or absent ineffectual father And since this is a heavy topic and we're coming up to halfway through this episode of the show, I'm going to take a break here and we'll come back and pick it up when I don't have to take a break. Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. Welcome back. So... The hypothesis, the correlation between being a gay male and having a cluster B mother, violent, absent father. He may he may well be cluster B himself uh, in a male typical way. Think about this for yourself. Roll it around in your mind. Think about the people you've known. 
Think about the tells that you pick up on people. See if it fits with your experience. I know for a lot of people that it does, but for some of you, it probably won't. But I have noticed over the years that of all the gay men I've known well enough to have any idea about who they came from, who their family was, I can think of only very few of these men who did not have a personality disordered mother and either a father who was a complete codependent wimp who would never lift a finger to push back on his wife, or he was brutally violent, military style, or he abandoned the family. So tentatively, what seems to be going on is the overbearing mother, the over-involved mother, the enmeshed and smothering mother, and the father who is either not attached to his child the way he should be because he's simply not there or he's actively hostile and possibly violent to his son or he's a stepfather who hates his son very common his stepson i'm not the only one who's seen this obviously it describes me but it describes so very many gay men i once saw an article online I should have picked this up before this. And I bust out I busted out laughing when I saw the headline because it was one of those moments where I realized that my perspective is so different on some topics from what the average person would think. There was just a moment of it was almost dadaist absurdity. And the headline was something like um the special relationship between gay men and their mothers. <laughs> Norman. Norman. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I'm saying that too. That is also a thing. <laughs> and this article, it, w it was typical. You know, people have noticed this before. Gay men are usually much closer to their mothers than they are to their fathers for a variety of reasons. But that special relationship, that special closeness, uh, and the article described it in the way that they always do. It's almost, they didn't use this word, but it was almost like your mom was your girlfriend, your gal pal, you know, your confidant, the person you could tell anything to who would always be there and who would also laugh at you about the new fashions and et cetera, et cetera. You know, gay men having girls night out with mom. Well, I see a lot of that, but a lot of those relationships look emotionally incestuous to me. They... They make me think that there aren't appropriate boundaries between these men and their mothers, which leads me to suspect that there weren't appropriate boundaries when they were growing up either. I'm going to be returning to this topic in future episodes, and I've got a couple of gay men friends that I think may be willing to talk about this, who've had a similar experience and who've made similar observations, and I'm going to try to get... Um, I'm going to try to get at least one of them on soon because I'd, I'd like to have a conversation about this, but I'd also like people to be able to hear it from someone who isn't me. Um, yeah, because I don't want you to think it's just me. That's part of my motivation. <laughs> but also other people notice other things and they're interesting to listen to. So when, when I was very young, like, just past toddlerhood, probably, I was probably somewhere between three and four years old um, when my memories first start. 
we lived in a trailer in Cortland, New York. And you can picture the trailer if you like. You'll know what it looks like. It was built in the 1950s. So it was a 50s style trailer. And it, it had a horizontal stripes on it. Um, turquoise, seafoam, blue, and white. So you know exactly what it looked like. And at least this one. Well, I have two stories about this trailer. I'll tell you the first one. My mother always used to tell her favorite story about my childhood. And for a long time, I thought it was a cute or endearing recollection. Like most people would when they hear the story. I see it differently now. She would talk about what a sweet, kind, caring boy I was. And how responsible I was beyond my years. Because when I was almost four years old, she had a bad flu or the cold. And she would tell this story that I went out into the kitchen of the trailer, got her a glass of water, and sort of toddled down the hallway and asked Mommy if she wanted some water. And since Mommy isn't feeling well, did she want me to make her some chicken soup because I was a big boy and I could do that? And she would, she'd get tears in her eyes and she'd say, you were so sweet and so caring and you took care of me from the, from the youngest age and it was just wonderful. Yeah, well, yeah, that's called parentification. <laughs> you know, in, an, in another household, maybe it would be something different. There is, you know, I probably was a sweet kid. I, I did care about my mommy when she wasn't feeling well. And I'm sure many kids would say the same thing, right? There isn't anything necessarily dark about that. But it, it's, it, it was my mother's fascination with it. And the fact that the story that she wanted to tell over and over, her favorite story about me of our entire life, was about the fact that I was taking care of her from the time I was barely out of toddlerhood. And, of course, my childhood was all about parentification. I was a latchkey kid. I took care of my brother and sister. Some of these things I don't, I, I don't actually regret. I think that parents today think their children are incompetent to do grown-up things for a, far longer than they actually are. I don't think there's any reason why a child cannot be taught kitchen safety starting before 10 years old, cooking, sewing, um you know, other household chores, I could do these things at a basic level um, far before other kids could. Now, it, it shouldn't have been my job to spend as much time caring for my brother and sister in the household as it was. But but having been taught these things and having, um, having some of those responsibilities is not in and of itself abusive. I mean, you, you look at any child in a 19th century working class family and they're already working on the farm. And I don't think that was necessarily exploitative child labor. Sometimes yes, but not necessarily. So anyway, um, so I had this enmeshed relationship with my mother. She was my entire world. There was no man, there was nobody else in the house, not only no father, but, but nobody else. Our world was just the two of us. And one day around that same time, this must have happened a little bit later. And some of you who watch the television show on Sundays have heard this story, but some of you are new. My first memory of my mother, I don't remember the story that she tells about me uh, asking her about chicken soup. I'm sure it happened. I just don't remember it. 
What I do remember is one day she had a girlfriend over to play cards. And in these 50s trailers, with cool things about them, they had these built-in dinettes. So there was a little nook just off the kitchen that sort of carved into the wall with a round table that would seat too comfortably and three tightly. Um, built in with a built-in bench banquette um, built into the wall. So it was like a little dining module. And actually, <laughs> I was as nerds do, I was flipping through the Mr. Scott's Guide to the Refit Enterprise, um, because I like to look at pseudo-architectural plans of Federation starships. And um, <laughs> their their schematics for the crew quarters included these, these built-in little booths that looked exactly like this trailer that we lived in. So um, I've come to the conclusion that American mobile homes actually built the USS Enterprise. So now you know. Well, so she had a friend over to play cards. And from a really early age, I loved to be around the adults. I wanted to stay up. I wanted to talk about adult things. I wanted to hear all the secrets. I wanted to eavesdrop. I wanted my opinion to be asked. I've been a blabbermouth my entire life. So I would always sit near my mother and her friends so I could listen to the adult conversation. And while they were playing cards, I crawled up under the table. And mind you, this is, I was probably just about four years old. See, I've told this before. It's still difficult to tell. You'll you'll see why it's difficult to tell after I tell it to you. Um, it's difficult to get out of my mouth without feeling um, wrong. All I can tell you is that I had nothing but curiosity on my mind. Nothing prurient, nothing weird. I was simply curious. I don't know why I was curious, but I was. I crawled up under the table and I put my head between my mother's legs. Hmm, what's this? And she reared back, looked down at me, and slapped me hard across the face and said, you are dirty. Now, it feels dirty to tell this story. It feels dirty to tell you that I did this. I, Even though intellectually I know that I was just an innocent child, that I was just curious about bodies, I still feel sexually dirty when I recall this. My emotions don't match up with, with what my thoughts know to be true. And maybe for obvious reasons, this memory has haunted me my entire life. It's my first memory of my mother. And it set the stage for a relationship that had very troubled boundaries. I don't believe that I was ever overtly sexually abused as a child. I don't have any memory of that. But... As is common with mothers with borderline personality disorder, my mother had serious problems with sexual inappropriateness boundaries. And the relationship between me and her was, at the very least, highly emotionally incestuous. I was being told secrets about her emotional life and her personal life that I should not have known from a very young age. She treated me as a counselor and a confidant. Um, I would hold her when she cried hysterically and couldn't keep herself together over paying bills. But there were 
darker boundary violations too. There were the fact that that she she walked around naked far longer than she should have after an age where it was no longer appropriate. It wasn't just a toddler and his mother. Um, you know, she would, you know, she would tell stories as I got a little bit older, but I was still a child for God's sake. She would tell stories about what she found inadequate in the men that she'd been with. And I'm going to have to pick this up in the next audio episode because I I guess, you know what, I'm kind of dancing around some of the stuff that I want to talk about, but it's a longer topic than I can get into a half hour. I'll talk, I'll tell a few more stories in the next episode um, about the way my mother dealt with issues of sex, sex roles, what we, what we today call gender or gender performance. Um, the back and forth between my mother's the back and forth between my mother wanting in some ways to do what the right thing was to do as a parent and that she had a very hard time figuring out there were times she tried but she could never hold on to it and and she would she would take the opposite approach the next day or the next week you know i i at at uh, on one day i would be her precious boy i would be the light of her life or the apple of my eye as she called me and in some ways i was a coddled mama's boy you know i cried easily i still cry easily but at least i excuse myself from public view when i do it now <laughs> And she would hold me, and she probably excessively comforted me and excessively sympathized with me uh, during some of my troubles, my inability especially to get along with boys, my fear of men and boys. But then she would be the opposite. She would be caustic. She would mock me. She would emasculate me. She would make fun of me for not not growing up into being a real man. And then on another day, she would break down and cry and yell about how she was failing me because she couldn't give me a good father and what was I going to turn into. So anyway, we're coming up at the end of a half hour here. Um, Sorry for the long introduction. Um, I will pick it up in the next one. And as always, thanks for joining me. See you soon. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine programming. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disaffected, or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever.